0: Flying in a wave can be some of the most exhilarating flying available in the UK. It's how most of the altitude records are broken and the clear views normally found on wave days will be some of the most spectacular you can get. Wave conditions are more prevalent than most people think and can be encountered anywhere in the country. You don't particularly need hills or valleys to trigger the effect, as wave normally is a precursor to a warm front. In many areas, the associated winds are actually too strong for paragliders, but days after there's been a big blow are often still wave affected, and that's when the wind strengths are manageable. I've flown in wave conditions many times on a hang glider and had some absolutely amazing flights. However, on a paraglider, I've been a little bit more cautious, having experienced on the hang glider how turbulent wave rotor can be. The relative speed of a hang glider makes it far more viable to fly in wave conditions, but that's not to say that it's impossible to do so on a paraglider. Some places are famous for really good wave and some places are known for exactly the opposite. Steve Hudson is the chief flying instructor of the Derbyshire Flying Centre and used to be in the British hang gliding team. He also flies and instructs with paragliders. And he's been flying since 1979 and has a huge amount of experience of wave flying on both hang gliders and paragliders. In this podcast, he shares some of this experience and knowledge of how wave works, how to make the most of it, and how to stay safe.
1: Before I get going, I, I want to point out that I'm not going to try and go too deeply into the causes of wave and the theories of it, and the best explanation or the easiest that i found is in a book called uh, Meteorology for Glider Pilots by um, C.E. Wallington. If you want to read about WAVE then that's a great place to do it. Okay, WAVE. As this is a broadcast with no lectures it makes it quite difficult to explain WAVE although I think in the end it's probably going to work out that you have a better idea because WAVE is all really about using your imagination. Obviously you have to put your life on the line because you've got to take off and fly in the stuff but you've got to beforehand make some kind of decisions about the air that you're flying in as we all do. So um, the first thing I'd like to point out is that wave is one of those strange phenomena that has uh, four dimensions. Um, It also works in time and really WAVE is all about patterns. Okay, where do we start? As a pilot, uh, you're at home and you're working out whether you're going to go flying or not and when you work that out you want to know uh, really what the conditions are that you're going to be flying in. Now, uh, the prerequisite or the main prerequisite for WAVE without going into too much detail is that you have to have some kind of wind blowing over a bunch of hills. I'm talking really about what, what you need to observe on your way to the hill. Um, think about it, above your head the air is moving in a waving motion and so as that waving motion uh, reacts with the ground there are going to be places where the wind is lighter and the wind is stronger as it compresses the air underneath and lets it expand. So even though you move into a site that's, that you think may have wave influence and, and the excitement of of maybe getting good height gains or whatever it is, the observations on your way there is going to give you all the information you really need or some of the information you need to to make a decision when you get to the hill. Once you've uh, arrived at the hill what's going to happen is it's going to be either what you think it is or it's going to be different so let me assume you, you go flying on a normal day and it's not Uh, wave conditions, you would expect when you set off from your house if it's lower than the hill for the wind speed to increase as you get near the hill and when you get to the slope um, you've assumed it's blowing five mile an hour at home and then you get halfway and it's blowing ten and then when you get to the hill it's blowing fourteen and you think great so that would be what you normally expect and that would be what when you get to the hill you would have no problem about making a decision to fly. However you may get to the hill in a wave situation and you've experienced strong wind, maybe light wind uh, on your observations to the hill and when you get there, maybe the wind's a bit strong or maybe the wind's very light. The trick is to decide whether it's what you expect or what you don't expect. Um, and if it's not what you expect, then that's one indication that there may be a wave uh, present in, in the conditions. There are obviously classic indications, everyone uh, talks about lenticulars, when you look at the books, you look at the illustrations and they all talk about lenticular clouds, which are these cigar-shaped clouds that are formed as the air from the wave moves up, it gets to its condensation level and forms a cloud on, on the some point on the rising side of the wave. Actually, it's very unusual to spot the classic lenticular clouds and it's more common to have A a cloud layer with holes in it either way if you are actually looking for signs of wave in some kind of cloud formations what you should really be looking for is clouds that don't move Um, so there may be a wind it's obviously a wind blowing and the clouds are not moving and or there may be holes in the cloud which don't move and for that to happen there's got to be something stopping it um, or what's actually happening is the clouds forming uh, and then dissipating. But anyway the situation is that you can obviously see a moving air mass and some bits are not moving and that's a real giveaway for spotting wave, particularly on days when you've got a little bit more cloud cover um, the holes uh, in the cloud are a good tell. The other things you should bear in mind, and these are probably told to you by pilots and you listen and then forget, but obviously in flying there some pilots who have been around a while and they'll say things like, oh yeah this is a great hill for wave but you need to be here in the morning at seven o'clock or whatever it is and oh you know don't land in that field. It's important that you listen to what's been said and, and what the other pilots have flown in that area I've got to say because WAVE is about patterns and the patterns always come back again so they'll have experienced them, seen them and know about them before and no doubt they'll come back. So we've got a particularly good WAVE site in the Peak District called Lord Sea but from experience I know that it's a very good idea to get to the hill uh, early in the morning um, which is completely of course against all all the efficacy of flying because they all the pilots want to turn up at 12 o'clock so anyway if you want to take advantage of of the up part of the wave you need to get there usually uh, you need to get to the hill early in the morning i'm going to bring in a phrase now called phase and you'll hear it banded about in wave uh discussions loads and we 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 talk about the the wave being in phase or out of phase Uh, really because we're only interested in the lift uh, part of the wave when we talk about the wave being in phase what we really mean is that the lifting section of the hill the hill lift actually is in line in some way with the up part of the wave lift so the two are seamless and therefore you can traverse from one to the other you can take off in ill lift and go up into wave lift and that's really what we are looking for. It is obviously possible to to go from thermal lift into wave lift but I don't want to go into that too much because it introduces another aspect to, to wave flying which generally won't crop up because most people's encounters with wave flying will be in winter. Autumn, winter, when uh, the air is much smoother and the laminar flow allows the wave to go lower, and uh, therefore the thermals uh, just interrupt that pattern and cause the wave to have to flow over it. So anyway, most of the wave scenarios that anyone's going to, well, most people are going to encounter, are going to be from ridge lift into wave lift. Or indeed from ridge lift into wave sink, or from uh, ridge lift into wave turbulence, which we'll get onto in a little while. So, one thing you need to understand: I've mentioned that wave is caused by wind blowing over a set of hills or valleys. But one of the other things you need to kind of understand when you get to the, your your favourite hill is that the hills that are causing the wave, The whatever is upwind of you that's causing the wave, may not actually be directly in line with the hill that you happen to be on. So let me try and put a thing in your mind. So you imagine standing on a hill and the hill faces westerly and it's a westerly wind blowing and you think, ah, there's definitely a wave here and it's easy to think to yourself, that the wave lift will be in line with the ridge lift all the way along the hill but that's not necessarily true the wave may well be at an angle to the hill so some part of the hill and maybe they're placed 20 yards to your right hand side will actually be in line with the waving motion and the up waving motion of course which I said was in phase but maybe as you go further to the left hand side of your hill you're starting to run into the down part of the air or the turbulent part of the air which is the out of phase section so trying to determine what the angle of the wave is relative to the hill you're on is really important when you're visualizing the scenario at takeoff um, obviously you don't want to turn left and go into the rubbish air the turbulence you, you want to turn right and go into the to lift the air so that gets us to the hill We've decided maybe that there's, there's some wave there. We've got the signals, the different wind speeds. We've got to the hill. The wind's fairly light. We've expected the wind to be 20 mile an hour and it's blowing 6 mile an hour. So you're thinking to yourself, ooh, definitely this, this hill is getting some wave effect. Now, what's the best plan? Well, the best plan is always let somebody else go off first. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, if you let someone go off first and they turn left into the turbulence, you can think, ah, I won't do that. And, of course, if they turn right and into the lift, you can follow them and carry on into the lift. And actually, when you're dealing with wave, it is actually very, very useful to have other pilots around. If you imagine that you're using the pilots firstly to know whether it's evil or not, And of course, there must be pilots on the hill who are more experienced than you and know about the wave or think they do or whatever and they're going to try it out and they'll either be successful or not and if they're successful you're going to follow and if you're not, if they're not, then you wait and the situation may change and you may try yourself and uh, you will gain some knowledge uh, out of out of what you're doing because you've made an assessment and you're testing it out and that will be either a positive or a negative result and uh, you may get chucked around in horrible air but but you've made your assessment and next time you'll make a better job of it. Anyway, so you got to this hill, you, you're going to take off, the wind is fairly light, you've expected it to be stronger. Now <clears throat> either you're going to take off into the up part of the wave because something is making the wind, wind less the headwind less, so it's either got to be lifting air or sinking air or maybe rotor. Rotor normally gives it itself away by the fact that the wind speed changes quite, um, so it might be light and then suddenly gust. Usually if it is constantly light you're either in the up or the down. If you're in the down and you've let somebody go off first, then what's going to happen is they're going to fly off in sinking air and land in the bottom landing field with a very poor glide, and you're going to think, I'm in the down air. What's that to you? Well, that just means you've got to wait. Uh, Remember I talked about wave being four-dimensional. Well, the situation, of course, is that as the day progresses for various reasons, the wave will move its uh, shape towards you or away from you. So that waving motion will either come towards you slightly or it'll go away from you slightly. So the situation that you're in at, in one hour, I don't know, you maybe you're there at five o'clock in the morning and it's no good. By six o'clock, the wave may come into phase and, and you will be successful in your, your attempt to gain height using that form of lift. Um, importantly, it is, like I said, a pattern. So if you turn up a hill and six o'clock in the morning you find that it's the waves in phase with the hill, it's pretty likely that the next time that those conditions are, uh, are the same next time the conditions are similar then it's likely that at 6 o'clock you'll have the waving phase with the hill. So all the pilots who seem to keep flying in the wave it's not because they've got more skill, it's just because they've figured out the patterns and uh, and they're using that imagination of those patterns to uh, be successful. So you're on the hill, you think you know what the pattern is, you maybe know what the angle of the wave is relative to that hill, you feel that the wind is light, and uh, and that is caused by the up part of the hill, and you're going to take off and try. And that's fair enough, and off you go. And sure enough, you're going to find that you fly into the into the lift, and you're going to climb quite happily. Now, there are some telltale signs, and and they're quite useful. I've found that Quite often when you're in the bottom part of the wave, you get a a kind of a a turbulence which is a bit like driving over a cobblestone in your car. It's a a kind of a rumbling kind of turbulence. Not particularly violent, but there can be little bits of rubbishy sort of um, turbulence in there, maybe wind, maybe suddenly a downwind component or something like that that chucks your glider forward slightly and you have to be aware but once you've found your way to the lifting section of the air and this is where your other pilots are going to come in very useful um, once you've found yourself into the lift a bit it's likely to be absolutely smooth which is fantastic so you found yourself into the lift and you're thinking brilliant it's all smooth and I'm starting to climb and it might be quite a weak climb quite often it is Now as you climb it's important to keep your eye on the other people that are around you in that lift that you've let off go first so you've diminished your amount of danger you're prepared to uh, take. So they're around and uh, they may be off to the left off to the right and what you're looking for of course is for the ones that are climbing and the ones that are not climbing. So if the guys to your right-hand side are climbing, but the ones to your left side aren't climbing, then obviously the waves to your right. So that's the way you'd move. So you angle yourself to move towards those guys. Um, It may be that you spot them sort of starting to sink, and you think, okay, well, that's as far that way as I really can go, so now I need to turn back left. And if you follow that plan, uh, like a zigzagging motion, if you like, you'll be able to map out in your head the wave shape and the direction is relative to hill not that the hill would matter to you anymore but the relatively uh, wave shape once you've done that of course it's fairly easy to fly up and down the wave as if it is a hill so effectively you're just flying a big hill and a big invisible hill up and down at a certain angle um, using the ground features to help you out with that angle that done there may be some cloud of course and you may go above the cloud uh, which is a different thing we'll get into in a minute but If there's cloud, then that may well give you uh, other indications of what the wave bar shape is and where the lift is. And, of course, you would obviously use that to your advantage. So there's quite a few times where I've been flying and clouds started to form underneath me. And, obviously, it forms along the bar, and that just describes where the wave bar happens to be. And you just fly up and down that, like I say, as if it's a hill. I don't want to go into the spectacularness of it all because I'm trying to um, do this in a matter of fact way, but anybody who's flown in Lyft will tell you that, you know, it is a fantastic experience, a smooth climb and the amazing views and everything else. You can get your camera out and take your pictures as you like. Um, so that's turning up at the hill, making some kind of decision finding you're in the wave, and up you go. And that all sounds pretty good. Now, there are some downsides to this wave. There is, obviously, for any up, there must be air that's going down. So somewhere, there is a top of a wave. It rolls over and starts sinking. Um, And that's, if you're in the wave, that's going to be behind you somewhere. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because, obviously... If you're a fairly inexperienced pilot, or maybe you're experienced, but still, it's applicable. um, Wave is a strange scenario in the fact that at some point you might scratch your head and think, okay, this is great, but how do I get down? And that can be quite a mental trauma because you suddenly everywhere you fly, you, you just find lift. And of course, then you wonder, how do I get down? And there's also the possibility that there are turbulent areas, which I'll go into in a second around. So anyway, let's assume, do you want to get down? The best way, the simplest way, is to find the smooth downy part of the wave. So you either go behind where you are to the sinky part of the wave and you effectively glide down in in the sink and it'll be smooth. Or you can fly forward into the wave that's uh, descending in front of you and you can find maybe that air that's sinking smooth. So those would be the obvious ways to get down from a wave scenario that you didn't want to be in anymore and there are various reasons why you might want to do that. It might be getting dark, It might be, uh, it might be a bit cold. And, anyway, so that would be uh, the favourite descend way. Maybe the lift's not too strong and you can descend in a normal fashion. Maybe put big ears in and speed bar and go in the front and, you know, and gliders can spiral, whatever. The, what is it? The elephant in the room, the conversation that I haven't got to yet, uh, the bit of wave that scares everyone, of course, is wave rotor. Now, how do I explain this and get it in your imagination? Hopefully you've got in your head a picture, the picture of a waving motion of air, we worked out where the up part is, we worked out where it is in relation to the ground so that it either is in line with the hill or slightly angled or whatever. Now the problem is with wave is that under the top of the wave there's a rolling motion of the air, the air doesn't want to um, go smoothly everywhere so it rolls and again under the dip of the wave there's also a rolling motion Um, so you've got if you're in the nice part of the wave bar in the lift in front of you somewhere there's a rolling motion of air and behind you well below you under the bottom of the lift you're in there's another rolling uh, motion and uh, the same downwind so you've got uh, effectively areas that you don't want to fly in or you don't particularly want to fly in, and they're there, probably invisible, well, almost definitely invisible, so you've got to, again, use your imagination. And this time, you're not using it for a nice positive result. You're using it to avoid a a fairly negative result. Let me deal with the wave turbulence, the, the, the rotor which may be behind you, if you like, in the dip that's behind the lift you're in first thing to understand about wave rotor is it doesn't just circulate it moves along it spirals along so it'll be spiraling along and circulating behind you somewhere now the good part about the wave rotor behind you is that it's if you like above the bottom curve of of the wave so it's quite high relatively quite high so for the paragliding guys the rotors there you may end up in it but since you've got reasonably good altitude um, collapses and things will be sorted before you get to the ground and when you come to the ground you'll be in the bottom part of the wave which is an accelerated wind speed Um, so it might be that when you land you're going backwards and you might have that to deal with but at least you know you're unlikely to have collapses with that uh, wave near the ground Uh, I don't want to spend any more time explaining that, but if you do encounter that kind of turbulence, it'll be over before you get near enough the ground to to have any uh, serious problems. So that's not the one that really causes you any trouble. You've got a rolling motion behind you, a rolling motion in front and one underneath. The one in front is also above the ground and has a decent amount of altitude before you get into the smooth sinking air that won't cause you too much trouble apart from the fact they'd be accelerated the wave turbulence the rotor that's going to cause you the big problem is the one that's underneath you or underneath the next bar or the bar in front that one of course is going to be rolling right next to the ground So you're going to have tailwind, headwind, uh, turbulence uh, if you end up there right next to the ground. So that's the one you want to identify where it is. Now, it's very simple on most flying sites to think that you take off from this takeoff, you fly this hill and you land in that landing field. But one of the things I want you to bear in mind with WAVE is you've used your imagination, you've worked out where the plan is, you know what the pattern is, you know the WAVE bar you're in. If you're enough skilled to get into that situation, you should be able to work out where it is, where is the rotor that is going to be underneath the lifty sections that is near the ground. And really, if that is... Uh, happens to be where your landing field is, then really you need to find another place to land, really important because it 's very easy to want to land next to your car in your normal landing field, and you might see people landing there not as far as you 're concerned not having too much trouble, certainly in a paraglider and an glider as well okay they 're a bit quicker, but still turbulence near the floor is is not very pleasant for landing so That's the area you want to avoid. Again, all you're doing is using your imagination to identify where that is and then keep away from it. Find a landing field that is not near the the rotoring turbulence. So how do you identify where it is? Really, there may be possibilities that you can spot it from features on the ground, but unlike Thermal days where you're floating along and and uh, and you're looking at the trees go and you see the birds landing to wind. It's not a good idea to try, I don't think, and find ground features, things that tell you where the turbulence is. I think the best. By certainly the, the most important thing for you to do is to, to use your imagination, work out where, where the lift is coming from, where the wave bar is. If you know where that is, it's fairly easy to work out where the rotor below you is and consequently the ones downwind and upwind. However, smoke, you know, chimneys with uh, like the one in Bradwell that, that chucks out smoke and you know maybe if there are some fires around then that will tell you because the smoke goes to the altitudes that you're interested in trying to avoid now uh, let me just jump back a little bit to this four dimensionalness hopefully you've got a mental picture of where you are where the wave is relative to you but try and remember that it moves so you'll have to adjust your flight to move forward with the wave bar or back with the wave bar depending on the time of day as the wave bar moves around the same thing will happen to the turbulence that will move around as well so it may be that you know at some point in the day the actual landing field you want to land in is nice and smooth uh, and reasonable and it isn't in a bad scenario in relation to the wave turbulence but you will have to make that decision so again you have as a pilot, have to imagine a scenario and uh, that scenario, again, you've got to imagine that it's moving. So places which are reasonable to landing an hour before may be turbulent to land in an hour later. Um, so you have to be flexible about your ideas, just like you need to have your mental plan and your imagined uh, scenario and you have to use your skill and ability to match that scenario with your decisions where you're going to place yourself in relation to um, where you think the turbulence is going to be. and um, So quite a lot of the stress is trying to work out what the pattern is, what the pattern of the wave is and how you can find a, a decent, uh, smooth place to land. Again. And going back a little bit to the beginning, there's quite a lot of uh, wave flights being done by a lot of pilots and it's important to listen to them because quite a lot of the pilots will be able to explain to you the good places to land when it's waving and uh, it's likely that uh, if they say that that area is decent when it's waving to landing and smooth, it will be. So. That'll have been done by trial and error, of course, which is uh, saves you a better hassle. But if you listen and just take on the experience of others, you'll find even if you're not quite sure of your vision of the wave scenarios, it'll have the, what they've said and it'll all add up to a deductive reasoning and you'll pick out the landing field, the landing areas that you think are good with what they've said and the pattern that you can see and it'll, it'll be right.
0: So the people that you're referring to, the ones with experience, are actually hang gliders. I mean in my area certainly they're the ones that have got the most knowledge of wave flying um, mainly because they can fly in higher winds and explore much further out from the hill and most of them have been flying for many years as well. So they're such a massively useful resource on the hill and uh, if you want to know more really it'd be best to ask them because they're by and large mostly happy to share their knowledge. Okay so tell me a bit more about how wave conditions can actually happen.
1: There is one scenario which I haven't gone into at all because I've just gone straight into the idea of wave, and I didn't want to explain what the best conditions are for forming wave and stuff because it's not really that important. Um, You're either going to go out flying or not, and there's going to be wave there or not, so you know, on your day off, that's all you can expect. There is one scenario I should mention, though. Quite often, you get wave formed in front of a warm front as the warm front comes in, there are particular conditions formed by that that make wave very likely. Now, for pilots who have fairly low airtime, of course, going flying on a day when uh, there's a warm front coming in is actually probably quite appealing. You have the scenario, of course, where as the warm front comes in, the sun is cut off and you've got a fairly dull day, so it won't be turbulent from the thermal conditions. So pilots who are a little bit timid or whatever who don't want to fly around in thermal turbulence and they want a nice smooth soaring day may well choose uh, that kind of day to go flying. So you turn up on the earl and there won't be any indication of wave because there is no wave formed until the front gets closer. So you get to the hill and you're flying around in really smooth air and it's great and then the scenario may set itself up where you find turbulence or you find lift or you find smooth sink and then you have got a scenario where the wave has come and it's set up while you're flying. Now obviously if you're a low airtime pilot or you're a bit timid you may feel that's all just turbulence and you want to go and land. If however you remember what I'm saying now Uh, It might be that you're in the ideal situation to make the best of that wave as it comes in. So there might be, again, going back to the beginning of the discussion, there might be, if you can work it out, a place on the hill where there's lift and it's smooth and you can go up and you get a lot better height than you've gone before, etc., etc. Again, if that happens... Bear in mind that you're now flying in a wave scenario and you'll be looking for the smooth places to land. And again, bear in mind, it may not be your normal landing field. You may have to choose a different landing field, an alternative uh, for that scenario on that day. Again, it's, it'd be unlucky if you're flying on your own. and Mostly you're flying with other people and they'll kind of guide you. But it is important because on those days when the when the warm fronts are coming, a lot of the pilots, uh, you know, your cross country pilots won't have bothered going flying because they just want to go out when there's great cloud base and good thermal climbs, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, it may be that your first encounter of a wave is on a day when there's a warm front coming and you're actually flying at the time and the wave sets up while you're there. Bear in mind the things I've said, and uh, if you can use your imagination to plot the whole thing, then you'll have no problem working out how to go about finding a lift, going in the sinky bits to get down if you're required to do that, and finding a good place that gives you a um, not too much turbulence for landing.
0: Hang gliders often use wave to go cross-country, hopping from wave bar to wave bar, but you don't hear much about paragliders doing that. So tell me about the potential of wave for paragliders going cross-country.
1: One of the things about wave, which I said earlier, is normally the wind speed increases with altitude. So usually the problem that paraglider pilots find is that as they climb in wave, they have to fly faster and faster. So how do you fly faster and faster? You end up breaks off and then you end up with your speed bar on and of course what happens is the wave may be climbing at 200 feet a minute 300 feet a minute whatever at some point you're going to be flying that fast that you're producing 250 feet a minute down so you're going to match the lift that the wave is giving you by your descent rate obviously there are exceptions and there's sometimes wave which is really very good lift and very powerful and etc but generally that's the problem that paragliders have, it's not as easy to climb to the top of the wave bar. So that's the first thing. So obviously, if you've got a wave bar, and let's assume the wave climbs to 6,500 feet, but you can only go to 4,000 feet because you're now flying too fast, you've flown up and down the wave bar and maybe it's not very big and you can't make an out-and-return flight that, that you think is reasonable, so you're thinking, right, okay, what I want to do is I want to jump to the next wave bar. You can see that at four thousand feet if the waves go into six and a half thousand feet or something, then you're gonna fly straight through the sinking air and then probably into the next rotor before you really get to the next lifting section of air. So that's gonna cause you a load of trouble. You get a load of smooth sink, then you're gonna get a load of turbulence probably not too bad, you're going to have decent height so it won't be too scary Um, but then you're going to encounter the the next bit of lift and you may well be too low, usually probably too low um, to connect with the the next lift because remember the primary wave which you're in probably on the first hill, the secondary wave hasn't got a hill that's underneath it so you, you haven't got a backup of an extra bit of lift. So that's the first thing, that's the thing that I think makes it difficult However, the other thing, of course, is experience. And glider pilots have probably tried it a few times and uh, and they've talked to each other and they've gained experience. If you are in this situation and you are in a good wave bar and you feel like you have climbed to a reasonable height and you're near the top of the wave and you want to fly to the next wave bar, one of the patterns you should adopt is you shouldn't fly exactly straight downwind. And the reason for that is because um, the actual wave lift doesn't necessarily have to be that deep so if you fly straight downwind you can imagine that you, you're thinking alright where's the wave and it might not be all that powerful uh, a lift so you kind of think well maybe this is it maybe this is it I'll go on a bit further and of course then you go a little bit too far you turn around into wind and then you've just got headwind and you're not in the lifted part and of course because paragliders aren't very fast it's very difficult for for you to make your way forward back into that lifting section the trick is to try and find the second wave bar and the best way to do that is to not actually fly directly downwind is to fly at uh, an angle of some kind if you know what shape the wave bar is and the next one is not necessarily exactly parallel to the one you're in but you can fly at an angle to the downwind trajectory so fly at a slight angle then when you hit the lift effectively as soon as you get out from sink then you've got to start to look for lift and you're looking you're then flying at an angle that gives you a bit more time and you can't afford to go too far downwind to turn back because with a paraglider of course the wave is fixed and you've got a headwind which is usually quite strong and you can't make it so you definitely need to uh, fly at an angle turn into wind uh, or a crosswind away from downwind as soon as you feel that you're in an area where there's reduced sink or a lift starts of the next bar then of course you've got to explore that and it's not as simple as thinking that wave bar I was in was here so the next one will definitely be here it may be at a slight angle it may be a bit weaker you might have to look around and it's more difficult because obviously you won't be used to the features that are underneath and there may not be anybody else there so you're probably doing it on your own so all those added up together make it very difficult for a paraglider pilot to find the next wave bar down however if you do it's quite common for the second bar to be actually bigger than the first so it's quite common for the secondary wave bar to actually go up higher than the first one did Um, so if you do that actually if you find the second bar you're in quite a good position There's loads of beautiful pictures of of wave systems that go on forever, harmonic movements of the air. But generally, the wave that we encounter as pilots is usually just a primary wave, secondary wave, maybe a third wave. And then, you know, the wavelength deteriorates and the wave's not so powerful and normally damps itself out. So if you can get the second wave, you're in a really good position, and you'll do, you know, you'll do very well. It might not be worth looking for the third wave. You might be better off climbing as high as you can, and then flying straightly downwind as far as you can to make your best distance.
0: So this place is known for good wave, for want of a better word, and places that are known for really nasty wave as well. How can you assess which is a good place?
1: There are simple scenarios. For instance, we talked about Lord Sea and effectively, what you've got there. Is you've got some clues the clues are you've got miles and seven miles of moorland smooth flat moorland and the wind comes across there and then it drops into the edale valley and then comes up lord Sea. so the chances of the wave bar that you're in the wave system you're in being the second or third or fifth wave scenario is is small because you know it's the first one so that makes it much simpler scenario there are sites however where the wave uh, system that you want to connect with because you want to get the lift from the wave is the third, second, third, maybe fourth, I, I don't think there are any that I can think of that are the fourth wave back but probably the third uh, wave back or something. That has got a really big drawback. The problem with flying a hill where the wave is, is the third wave if you like, it does give nature options to cause you quite a lot of trouble. So I mentioned that wave moves in time. So you can imagine that primary wave sets up and it moves forward a little bit. The secondary wave probably moves forward with that and the third wave moves forward with that. So that's a nice scenario. But of course underpinning that you've got other conditions, you've got ground typography and things and sets of hills and who's to say that when the first wave moves smoothly forward slightly the second wave moves forward slightly and the third one maybe it just thinks oh, I can't really be asked to move I'm going to dissipate completely and reform at some point further forward and i think that is generally the problem with sites where you get a wave system that is not the primary or a secondary wave uh, system that even when you've made all the observations and you think, ah, I think this wave is right, um, you can take off and then end up in really pretty horrible air. I've had it myself. Uh, I've been climbing in a wave system and taken off, found a lift, climbing, and then suddenly all hell's broken loose and uh, you get drilled and to the floor and you're in just absolutely terrible air. And that's just one of the things that you have to deal with. But in some ways, one of the things you've got to accept as a pilot is that once you've taken off, if you happen to be in the turbulence, it is important that you just accept the fact that you're in this turbulence and you counter the turbulence the best way you can. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is in a thermal, the turbulence is there. You know the thermal offers you a reward of climbing so you're quite happy to bang around in the turbulence find the climb and climb and if you don't like it you know that you can fly away from that bit of lift and you can find smoother air and you can go off on your merry way doing something else however wave turbulence is worse than that and i think most of the time it's worse than that because it offers you no options basically you're in it and you have to make the best of it. So you've just got to ride it out until you end up in the place that you think is generally the best place that you can get to that you can land okay or escape the wave in some way. And so if you, if you do end up caught in that kind of turbulence then try and free your mind from uh thinking oh no what's going to happen to me next and just deal with everything just realize you're in a bad scenario and just deal with things as they come along in a matter of fact kind of way which is terrible but at least that keeps the kind of terror of it into some kind of reasonable controllable uh, mental state so that you can then deal with each thing that happens you know without worrying about the fact that it's happened just deal with it and get on with the next rubbish thing that's going to happen to you.
0: You hear about people who are a bit hazy about the conditions they've flown in and saying stuff like that they've been in a great thermal at seven o'clock in the evening when actually it's been wave that they've flown in but they haven't recognized it as such.
1: One of the sensible things to do at the end of any given day when you've flown you should have an idea of the kind of conditions you flew in, the place you flew, and what it was that was giving you the lift or the sink or the turbulence. You need to know that because um, otherwise you don't build uh, knowledge and you can't be a better pilot. So if there is a day where you fly around in lift and you've no explanation of where the lift come from or what it was you need to know what that cause was why it was there and you need to investigate that so as a pilot you shouldn't there shouldn't be any days where you've flown around and thought oh that was great um we got really good lift at seven o'clock and they were great thermals obviously you know knowledge tells you you're not going to get great thermals at seven o'clock but you know, something caused it, it actually happened because it happened to you, and therefore um, it makes sense to try and find out what it was. And that, you know, of course, will be useful to you at some point in your future flying. So in discipline terms, then really to be any sort of half-decent pilot, you need to understand the scenario that you're in, or the scenarios you've been in, and be able to uh, find out what they were, why they happened, how come it did this kind of thing, how come I got that kind of sink, why did I get that kind of turbulence, whatever it is, so that you've, you understand um, the environment you're flying in, because if you don't understand the environment you're flying in, really, you're going to end up in deep, deep trouble.
0: So Steve, ten a high note, tell me about your best wave flight ever.
1: I won't go through my most spectacular wave flight ever, but I will just explain the last one that happened in Derbyshire over Christmas. Because I know that winter is good for wave and uh, you get a nice laminar flow and there happened to be snow on the ground, so that helps as well. And I also know that Lord sea uh, works better in the morning. So, of course, um, I got myself organised, got to the hill uh, relatively early, well, before all the other pilots anyway. And sure enough... On my way there, all the signs were saying that, you know, it's a reasonable wind and you get to the hill and the wind is very light. So you think, well, I'm either in the up part or the down part. Uh, since there's nobody else at takeoff, because they're all being lazier than me, obviously I'm going to have to take off first. And, yeah, sure enough, I'm I'm banking on the fact that I've made a good assessment of what happens. It's happened to me before. And if I take off in rubbish air, I'm quite happy to accept that and deal with it. Uh, etc anyway took off and the air was lifting i turned left went along uh, to the point along the hill where uh, from memory and other flights i know it has the best area for the wave to be in phase and uh, and sure enough the climb got a little bit better so there i am it's a little bit rocky uh, like i explained before a little bit like cobblestones a couple of surges forward that have to be damped with my paraglider and then it smooths out and i'm climbing so i'm climbing quite happily and of course because i'm climbing quite happily uh, the pilots have walked up the hill a bit faster and they rigged a bit faster and they're all getting off the hill and climbing quite happily and i'm climbing and it's freezing and i'm looking at the view and zipping up my jacket and tucking all my bits and stuff away and and holding my hands behind my risers to keep it out of the wind flow and uh, and i'm still climbing in this absolutely smooth air and then i decide off obviously i don't really need to hold the brakes i can let them go um so i think well i'm going to let the brakes go and uh, and i'll just tuck my hands away for a minute and uh, and in we go and sure enough it carries on being smooth and uh, and i carry on flying slightly into wind uh, but the wind's increasing quite a bit actually so i'm about two and a half thousand feet up and uh, But the wind's increasing a bit, so I'm not making much headway forward, but I know that that is what to do, and that's where the lift will be better, and there's no point going downwind, so I persist in going forward, uh, you know, perhaps over the ground at two mile an hour, but relative to the wave, I'm moving forward in it, so I'm doing okay. And sure enough, I'm climbing still and uh, the wind starts to get a little bit uh, less headwind uh, probably because I'm in a bit better lift and uh, and sure enough the climb gets a little bit better and I'm climbing and uh, so I'm now uh, pretty high and I'm looking round and I'm thinking wow, what a view. Everything is covered in snow. It's a very black and white uh, picture but stunning f- for that. I can see uh, Snowdon and all over the Pennines, um, Sheffield, Manchester, everywhere, um, the views are stunning, and the sun's out, and in theory giving you a bit of warmth, but it must have been, I don't know, it must have been minus four on takeoff, so, what, six and a half thousand feet is probably minus a lot, um, two degrees per thousand feet, anyway. It was pretty chilly and stunningly beautiful. And in a way, it reminds you of your humanness because you're looking at this beauty and you're thinking, what a absolute privilege to be in this scenario. And then you're also thinking shit, I'm freezing. What am I going to do? How am I going to get down? So, of course, got to find a plan for getting down. So, I decided to do the the forward bit where you fly forward and get in the sinky air rather than back. So, I flew forward and sure enough, eventually, because I'm flying into an headwind, which is quite strong, eventually, I get to the sinky bit and I I go down and down and down. I'm thinking, great, and I spiral a bit and I'm sinking really nicely. And um, I get to... 500 foot below the top of Lord Sea, so I'd be about 300 foot above the bottom landing field and I'm across the valley and I decide to fly downwind and land in the landing field. No idea why I decided to land on the landing field, I should have just flown downwind and landed in the place where I know is good for getting down smoothly and wave. Anyway, I, And sure enough, as I come towards the landing field, I'm in lift and I can't get down anymore big ears, and I'm still going up, and sure enough, I sit there, and I climb back through 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet, uh, and I'm uh, sure enough, I'm back at 4,500 feet above the takeoff, thinking, wow, oh, the view's brilliant, but I'm still freezing, and and I still think, well, climbing's really what is inside your head as a pilot, and, and uh, you know, but... Again, you know, you're a human being and you're freezing, so in the end you've got to land. So sure enough, I come up with the other plan and lose sight again and eventually get down and land in the landing field and rub my hands together and get warm and, and just look back on an amazing, an amazing view, amazing flight and privilege of being there for that moment. You know, that's what you get, and it's definitely for me worth it. All the rest of the pilots, hopefully they'll get, You know that kind of experience at some point in their flying career and and you know it's just another one that you put in in the back of your mind and think what a privilege to to be in that scenario uh, with a bit of cloth and a few bits of string you know
0: thanks so much i've learned loads and loads this evening and i feel a lot more equipped to fly and wave on a paraglider now if you enjoy our podcasts webcasts and articles on the paraglider Please consider making a donation to support us with our costs for hosting and also to support us in making great new resources. We've got lots of ideas for new podcasts, webcasts and articles and would be happy to produce them, but we need your support. You can find the donate button on any of the podcast pages on the paraglider.com as well as on the main index page. Thank you.